You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. I'm excited to kick off the year with the smallest penguin species in the world, the fairy penguin, or what we call them here in New Zealand, the little blue penguin. What can they teach us? Uh, with little penguins, there is a new species of feather mite that lives on their skin and their feathers and feeds off of the different... Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and that is an awesome way to ring in 2022. Yes. Happy New Year. This is Angie, and I wanted to start off the new year, maybe not with a bang, but um, a penguin vocalization mm -hmm. seems like a great party that I want to be at, and I wanted to share with the <laughs> world. So yes. yeah, it's going to be a fun podcast. It's going to be an amazing year. Uh, Chris and I have been discussing lots of goals that we have mm -hmm. up for the podcast, and we're just going to keep bringing you great content. And so 2022, baby. It's going to be an amazing year. I, I just, I'm entering the year with energy, excitement, a lot of positivity, it has been a very tough two years for everybody around the planet. We know that it's been really, you know, bringing in 2022 has been tough, but it looks like this pandemic is predicted to end this year. So hopefully everybody listening is out there is, is safe and healthy. I know COVID's like, it's like, it's almost like a time capsule today as we talk about it. But in a year, Angie, I predict that we're going to be in a much better position around the planet and you know and i know for not just the podcast but for animal conservation there's going to be a lot of optimistic stuff going on so i'm excited to kick off the year with the smallest penguin species in the world the fairy penguin or what we call them here in new zealand the little blue penguin because they they're right off my coat they're literally 30 minutes from my house there are little blues out there swimming around I know. I had so much fun prepping for this podcast in the new year. First, it's penguins. Everybody loves penguins. Uh, they were actually very helpful for me throughout the past two years during mm -hmm. the pandemic when several different zoos and aquariums were letting the penguins go on parade and into the exhibit hallways and into the different into the different exhibit hallways and other areas of the zoo or aquarium to help enrich them since there were no visitors or any other type of interact interactions going on. And so that was so fun. And I, I know several of my friends were sending me daily, like check mm -hmm. out this penguin. And so penguins are a fun species, but then realizing that they were in your neighborhood and being like, Oh my gosh, Chris can go here and see him. He can mm -hmm, go there mm -hmm, and see him mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and get us some videos and some awesome photos. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, the, the fairy or the little blue penguin is extremely vocal, a big personality and, and it's going to be a good pod today talking all about them. Oh yeah, and after doing this, I'm definitely going to go out to the coast and and try to see if I can start spotting them because I, I haven't seen them yet. But 
talking to Jesse, he says, you know, the beach off here where we live, they do come and, and, and come on shore. Mm-hmm. And, and it's exciting when we do these animals. Like last week, I sent you a picture of a t- big tuatara that I saw at the Kiwi house. I did see a Kiwi finally at the Kiwi house where last time I didn't see one. So, you know, when we do these species, it's always fun to go out and see them. And I just want to give a big thank you to Meredith and C. McDonald, who over the holidays joined us on Patreon. So thank you so much. And, you know, what Patreon is, it supports Angie and I, helps pay to keep this going, keep the website up and running. And hopefully grow. Yes. Uh, that's what Chris and I have been chatting about uh, for the past couple of months of how do we reach more people worldwide to help educate them about the plight of several of these species and get them excited about not only animal conservation, but just plant conservation, conservation, ocean conservation in general. And so that is our our goal. And by supporting us, you help us with that mission. Yes. And we definitely are, you know, as, as this pandemic starts to wind down, you know, fingers crossed, you know, we're going to be making a big push this year. And, you know, we, we talked about, we were at 260 episodes. We, we have a lot of content that a lot of back content that people may not be aware of. So we're looking at, you know, to get help, get a social media manager to help us push our message. If anyone out there. knows one, hint, hint. <laughs> Send us an email, <laughs> allcreaturespod at gmail.com. But Anyways, thank you so much for supporting on Patreon. Again, a, a, a Starbucks coffee a month helps us and helps conservation. You know, as as I, I it just reminded me, I have to go and put that poll up on uh, Organization of the Month. And yes, we'll be putting a poll up as well for our Patreon listeners to help vote on what species they want us to cover in 2022, so they can help steer our ship a little bit. Yes, absolutely. We're going to be taking requests from from them, and you know, uh, C. McDonald did ask us to do arachnids and. <laughs> I kind of laughed. We invertebrates are—it's out of our comfort zone, but we may surprise you this year. I know we've we've had honeybee requested, and which are really cool. Oh yeah, there's cool behaviors with with well, insects are classified as animals, and like the the beginning of our podcast, there's millions of animals around the world, and. We may get out of our comfort zone this year. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But we'll, right now, we'll, we'll see s- how well we do on Patreon <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's going to take a lot more time to uh, research those for us. But I know. I love I know. the enthusiasm. So please keep it coming. Arachnids are, are amazing. They are awesome. All right. Describing the little blues, Angie, they're darling. They're, oh, they are. They are. And just to start off with size, I'll start off with size. And then as Angie talks, you can kind of keep this in your mind because everybody kind of has an idea of what they think a penguin looks like. But again, being the world's smallest, length up to 17 inches or 40 centimeters, height, you know, average 14 inches, 30, 35 centimeters, weigh less than three pounds, which is heavy for them, or a kilogram. So they are they are itty bitty as far as for a penguin. Sure, but they are really darling. And true to their name, the little blue penguin or the fairy penguin is in fact blue. The upper body and the flippers are blue, gray, or slate blue in color, uh, even with a little bit of iridescence, depending on what light they're in. And the underside from the throat to the belly is going to be white. The bill is black, but it don't matter, stark gray. And the feet are light pink and the eyes are gorgeous. They're a silvery blue, gray color, very striking. And just definitely distinct from, but definitely distinct in color from the traditional black and white tuxedo penguin that we're all familiar with. And if if you can, if you're not driving, definitely go to our website at allcreaturespodcast.com or our social media to see a picture of these darling little blue fairy penguins. They they really do hold true to their name and. A fun fact is that the juveniles or the younger fairy or little blue penguins are actually a little bit lighter blue or more indigo blue in color than the adults. So they, they're even more pronounced, if you will. Yeah, and, I, and I've seen them at the Auckland Zoo. And now I need to see them in the wild. So, And then one of, one of the, the organizations I'm going to talk about at the end, um, I, I've got to get down. It's down in Napier, so I, I'll mention it at the end. Uh, I got to get there too and see their their little blue penguins or their 
fairy penguins. Now, as you've guessed, obviously these are native to New Zealand, some of our surrounding islands here. Pretty much our entire coast, you can find these penguins, which is That's amazing. why I was so excited for you because I was like, I was like, I'm sure they're in the South Island, like closer mm-hmm. to Australia. But then when I saw that they're in the North Island with you, I'm like, that is amazing. Yes, yes, they definitely are here in the North Island all the way around. And then they, they do have uh, colonies off Australia or South Australia, um, you know, the western part of Australia, the southern coast, all around Tasmania, and then the eastern portion of Australia, the southern coast, they have little blue penguins. Now, what's interesting, Angie, is they have spotted some of them off Chile and mm-hmm. even South Africa, but these are called vagrants. And doing my birding with Jesse, learning more about how birds are th- these vagrant species sometimes show up like especially the ones that fly they they show up uh, because of storms blow them on shore so they're resting uh, you know sometimes when there's a big storm jesse's always like oh we got to go birding because it might have pushed some birds to new zealand and we did it was really cool about a month ago in new zealand we had a delhi penguins show up a pair or they twice two sightings of them uh on our coast and these are native to antarctica and we're not really that close to antarctica compared to say south argentina or chile we're we're much further north so it was really rare to see this adelie penguin now obviously it was the south island and i had no chance of getting down there to see it because it probably was just resting for a night and then it was gone um, but it's very rare and it's only been seen two times or been reported uh, two times earlier in 1962 and in 1993 to see an Adelie penguin way up here in New Zealand. So I thought that was really cool. <laughs> so interesting. I- and well, what is the typical fate with these vagrants? Will they stay or will they go? I think they, the birds definitely will fly off and, and try to get back to their native range, but Remember we talked about, what was it? This I forgot what species we covered. I, I don't know if it was the snowy owl that ended up in Hawaii in 2014. You know, again, got, got blown by a storm, but they typically will go back to their native range. Um, I know in the UK, there was a walrus. It was, they named it Freya. It was off the coast of UK, off the UK, a young, I, I believe, female walrus. And now they're tracking it. It's north of Scotland, so it should be going back to the Arctic. But it was in South England, you know, near wow. Pipslivin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, far from home. Yeah, way far from home. So yeah, that Adelie penguin did not belong here, and uh, hopefully, it made its way back home. You know, as it went out to to the ocean. Now, little blues are very critical to our ecosystem around here in New Zealand and Australia. Uh, not only are they predators, right? They, they eat quite uh, a bunch of different fish and organisms, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but they, they are an important prey species to native animals. But as you're going to find out, especially when we talk about conservation, even though the little blues are classified as least concerned, their numbers are dropping and, and, and not at a, a at a pretty steady rate. So, you know, to a point where they will end up being classified as endangered, but they're, you know, their population's high enough now where they can take some loss, but, and that's because they're being preyed upon. One of their, their main threats are non-native wildlife, you know, and dogs, cats, cats, rats. And that's a big problem here in New Zealand. Anytime I talk about New Zealand and I talk about conservation and, how our native birds have just been decimated by invasive species. But even in Australia, we talked about it a few, I think with the wombat episode, uh, it was rabbits were one of the major drivers of some extinctions, but you know, these, these little blue penguins, they get picked off on the coast. And so, yeah, but they are a very critical, important part of the food web of the ocean. Oh, absolutely, Chris, from preying on the small fish, squid, octopi, anchovies, to then being prey to sharks, seals, orcas, um, they're natural predators. Uh, it's, it's, they're, an important, they're an important part of the food web. 
Well, and Chris, since we were talking about invertebrates earlier in the podcast, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. not arachnids, but a recent study showed that uh, with little penguins, there is a new species of feather mite that lives on their skin and their feathers and feeds off of the different preening oils that are produced in the feathers that help keep the feathers healthy and lubricated. And that mite is only found in little blue penguins. So Mm -hmm. if they're gone, that mite is gone. And some of you might, pardon the pun, be Mm -hmm. thinking, why why do we care about that? But it really just goes to show that there's so many important moving parts that scientists are still learning about. And often when you conserve one species, you're conserving so many more that you may not even know about. Up and down the food web, as which Chris and I talked about earlier, but then also living living on their bodies. It's cool stuff. And of course, I don't study invertebrates, but I bet for people that care about mites, this new feather mite is like the holy grail. Like, yeah. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. It's just really cool. And then mm. From a more human perspective, if you're having a hard time buying into the ecosystem or this new feather mite, when it's not about the money, it's about the money. People love penguins um, from little blues to emperors, uh, but because of where fairy and little blue penguins live, people can have access to actually seeing them. For instance, Chris, one island off the coast of Australia, Phillips Island, it's reported that over a half a million tourists come annually to watch these colonies of penguins parade in and out of the water. And I'll talk more about this awesome parading behavior that they do that's super darling mm-hmm. when we get to behavior. So half a million people to this island annually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so there is – and that's just one one area. So – There is definitely an economic tourism impact, um, not only, of course, in Australia, but in New Zealand Mm -hmm. as well. So it's definitely important for us to keep an eye on these populations and make sure they're healthy and thriving. Absolutely. You know, and and, and again, as as we open up, I know Australia is opening up now you know, to tourism. And as we open up here in New Zealand this year, you know, come visit, please. And let me know when you're coming and we can have some coffee and, and send us photos of, of little blues. Yes. <laughs> please. Right, right my coast. So trust yeah. me, you need more little blues in your life every day. They are yeah. darling. Yeah. And I looked up Phillips Island is just South of Melbourne. So that's near, okay. uh, yeah, Chantel. Uh, that area of the world. So we'll send will, her. Yes. I will get over there. I, my goal is to get over to Australia this year. As soon as we, we can. I know travel. Chantel was so sh- sweet. She reached out to me just the other day and was like, have you seen a Florida Panther in the wild? And I was like, <laughs> girl, I wish yeah, it's I much wish. more likely that I could see a Florida Panther than a leopard in Africa. But no, I have a really bad <laughs> batting average. I have seen neither, but the, yeah. the Florida Panthers do a pretty good job of hiding and there's, they are endangered in Florida. There's not a lot of them. So I think it's like a hundred. Yeah. There's about a hundred in, yeah. in all of Florida. Yeah. Probably see black bears more than that. See, how about an alligator? Have you seen an alligator today? All, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> today. Not today, but this week. Absolutely. Yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. Uh, I'll never forget. When I walked out of my class and there was a little alligator in the back hissing at me. I was like, oh God, Florida. I love you. All right. Um, Angie, I wanted to talk about something that, that affects all of us. And it definitely is affecting me today. And it is affecting the little blue penguins. And that is El Nino and La Nina. We hear it all the time. I had to do some digging. So this was the rabbit hole I really kind of went down this week because I am not going to lie. Today, I'm sweltering as I record this podcast. Yesterday, I know there's a little armpit sweat. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm dying because, I, first of all, we don't have central air conditioning, but it it is very hot today. It's almost near 90 degrees Fahrenheit or 32 degrees Celsius. Uh, yesterday was that hot and that that is extremely rare for new zealand it, it's pretty here in the in the north island it, it the temperatures are pretty moderate you know it's usually cool cooler and wetter than uh temperatures that you have there in florida or when i was in southern california this was a typical normal day but but not here so we're experiencing a heat wave and that is because of a la nina and so what a La Nina is, and, and you're going to have to really kind of follow me uh, because the El Nino is just the opposite of La Nina. 
Now, La Nina overall is cooler than normal temperatures in the eastern Pacific Ocean, where El Nino is hotter than normal temperatures in the eastern Pacific Ocean. So right now, today, we're in a La Nina event. So in the eastern Pacific Ocean today off South America, the ocean temperatures are colder But over here in the Western Pacific Ocean near me, Australia, going up to Indonesia, it's hotter than normal. So the waters off New Zealand right now are like three to four degrees hotter than normal. And that is definitely having an impact on wildlife and fish. Now, where this starts is understanding the weather dynamics. Now, I will say El Nino and La Nina's affect the entire global weather pattern. So it affects you there in Florida, affects our listeners in Europe, in Africa, in Asia, wherever you are, these influence weather patterns. Now, because of the Earth's rotation, normal wind flow in this central portion of the the, the equator is, is a good way to just kind of have everybody uh, think of it, that the equatorial part of the central Pacific Ocean, because of the way the earth rotates, winds blow from east to west. So from South America to Australia, think of it that way. The winds are blowing normally that way. Now, during a La Nina event, the winds are much stronger, so that top warm portion of the ocean is pushed to the Western Pacific Ocean, and the colder temperatures near South America come to the surface. So that is why the waters off Chile, Peru, Ecuador are cooler than normal, And all of that warm water is pushed over to Queensland, New Zealand, and north of us, you know, going into Indonesia. So the waters are much warmer here. So El Nino is the exact opposite. So what happens is in El Nino, the waters off South America are much warmer. And the waters here by me in New Zealand, Australia are much cooler because the winds are very weak or they even reverse and they blow from west to east. So, you know, that's basically what's going on with with that. Now, La Nina right now has has caused temperatures here in in New Zealand uh, to be much hotter. For our listeners in Australia, what happens is La Nina, it actually produces more rain in the eastern part of Australia. So they actually have a a more wet season where in El Nino results in drier conditions and they get more drought. And you see that in India, Indonesia, the Amazon, El Nino, La Nina affects all the weather patterns. So the reason I bring that up is because these little blues, and I I have a research study I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, uh, that talks about years when fish are 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 less plentiful. You know the the chicks die off. The the, you know, the parents don't have enough food for them. Is because when right now you're just seeing it in the news, we're seeing tropical fish off New Zealand right now, where like red snapper, all these other types of fish that don't normally live here are actually migrating further south, and sardines and anchovy which the fairy penguins or little blues hunt are not here they they like colder more nutrient rich water so for the little blues that don't migrate their home is my coast is is the coast right here there's not much food right their normal food is pushed off because it's too warm it's definitely having an impact on the little blues and El Nino and La Nina, you know, the penguin species that probably next, which we'll probably cover is the Galapagos penguins. They're the only ones that go north of the equator. And it, El Nino and La Ninas are devastating to them. Absolutely devastating to them. Now, it, it just interesting real quick, La Nina and El Nino, they're normal weather patterns. Like there's for thousands of years, they, they think that has been normal. 
it was about once in every 20 years you would see this where there was really extreme El Nino or La Nina's. Now with climate change, we're seeing it once every 10 years. And they think by the end of the century, we're going to see this much more common where you're going to have these, these more extreme uh, changes in ocean temperatures, which is going to affect obviously weather patterns. I mean, things like coral bleaching. This is a major cause of coral bleaching on the, the Great Barrier Reef. More hurricanes, more cyclones. All of that is, is being more intensified because we're seeing more El Nino and La Niñas. So that's when you hear that. That's what's going on with the weather and it is impacting wildlife. Did you follow that? I did. I, I teach it. Yeah, I, yeah, I teach it. And so it's named... Um, the reason it came from the, the Spanish background is because mm-hmm. it was first described off of the coast of Peru, I want to say. Yeah, I Ecuador. think it was Peru. I think it was Peru. Uh, basically, a phenomenon of the fishermen of that yeah. they didn't have any fish that year, and they're trying yeah. to figure out why uh, the fish weren't biting, and, uh, and then it was further described after that. Yeah, yeah, because the ocean temperatures were warm, you know, and the fish were like, "See ya." I'm out of here. Yeah, they're going to deeper depths or going well, it's uh, further the food south. Web. It's mm-hmm. the food web, right? Like, you know, the little fish are following the plankton and, and all the, the microorganisms that live in the ocean. And when the water's too warm, they don't live there. Right. You know, that, that's, that's where you see the southern oceans, you know, as we cover more species are so dense in nutrients. It's like Alaska. You know, people mm-hmm. like to go to Alaska and see the whales and the fish are huge up there and there's so much rich wildlife in the oceans around there uh, because it's colder water. There's more plankton, more krill. So that's where all the whales go to feed. And it's the whole food web is vibrant. Mm -hmm. And that's the Southern oceans, you know, because it's colder and these animals live there. So for the the little blues, I I am worried about it. I'm going to keep my, my uh, ear to the ground here and see what I can learn as we, we go through this La Nina this year and see how it impacts them. But obviously the anchovy and sardines and also overfishing has, has taken its toll, but yeah, very interesting stuff. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters, May 17th, do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, switching gears to evolution, we've done penguin species before. We just did a bird before this one. So again, birds are related to dinosaurs. Uh, You know, the class is aves. Penguins are birds. There's about 10,000 species of birds, so plenty to go for us. The order is Sphenisiforms, which is the penguins, or the family. There's not a big, there's not a difference between the order and family. Family is Sphenicidae. And there's about, there's still some debate, 17 to 20 species. I'm seeing 17, 18 recognized species of penguin uh, across six genera. And then in the little blues, the genre is Eudiptula. So Eudiptula. Eudiptula minor. Chris and I practiced that. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Before we hit record. It was, it was a... E-U-D-Y-P-T-U-L-A. We, 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 we cheated. We went online to learn how to say that. Eudiptila uh, minor. And six recognized subspecies. The five, five of the subspecies are located off New Zealand. And then the, the true fairy penguin that comes from Australia is located there. But you know, in general, Eudiptila minor, the little penguins or the little blue penguins or the fairy penguins, all interchangeable. Now, evolution of penguins. I love covering this. You know, birds emerged 160 million years ago. Penguin-like birds emerged right before the fifth mass extinction. And I know we've covered this, but I love it, is in New Zealand. Yeah. All the world's penguins came from where I'm living right now. Like, I love that. And what's interesting, this is, again, why this podcast is fun, but do you know, Angie, 
not a lot of people know this, that New Zealand's actually its own continent. I don't I know if I mentioned know that. I don't mm-hmm. think I've mentioned it before. Yeah. That's not what I learned in my general no. geography class. No, because it's mostly submerged. Zealandia is mostly submerged now. New Zealand and New Caledonia are like the remnants of it that are okay. above water. But under us is a totally submerged continent that was vibrant with animal life. So you can only imagine the fossils that are down there. I just, great minds think alike. I just (laughs) thought the same thing. I've been hanging out with you too long. My goodness. Wow, that's really cool. Off the east coast of Australia is another continent, Zealandia, but most of it's submerged. So actually it's like- How big is it? It's, it's, uh, I watched a documentary on it. It, it, it's about the size of Australia, I think. Yeah, okay. small, a wow. little bit smaller, a little bit smaller no in Australia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so penguins emerged here, you know, back then. Now, a, a paper just published in 2020 has sequenced the genome uh, of 18 species of penguin, and their most common ancestor of today's penguins definitely evolved 22 million years ago here in New Zealand and Australia. So all the penguin species can be traced back to that. I think it's, it's penguin a is what they call it and then radiated out. And they, they wanted to know how, you know, how did penguins radiate out from New Zealand and Australia? And that's because of the ocean currents. So the Southern ocean current, like about 11 million years ago, really they they said revved up. And then penguins just like slung shot themselves around the Southern hemisphere. And over the last 11 million years, you see penguins totally adapting to new climates, you know, go from the Galapagos penguins, which are in the tropics, the African penguins Mm -hmm. to the Adelie, which I talked about the emperor penguins that live in the Antarctic, uh, the king penguins. And they all picked up different abilities, you know, certain ones that can dilate and constrict blood vessels. They can dive deeper, stay warmer. Uh, you know, the African penguin drinks seawater. You know, we talked about that and they, they excrete it through their eyes, right? I think that was them, if, if that's right. So anyways, yeah, fascinating stuff about penguins. Now, I know I've said this before in a different podcast, but for anybody that didn't listen to one of our penguin podcasts... The giant penguin, my favorite, the New Zealand giant penguin, stood about six feet tall. That's about that's you, a little shy, <laughs> six, a little five, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it almost looked me in the eye. Definitely looked down on Angie. Weighed <laughs> anywhere from like around eighty kilograms or one hundred seventy-five pounds. So, lived about thirty-five million years ago, and. There was actually a bunch of different species of giant penguin, but that was just the biggest one I could find was the New Zealand giant. Could you imagine? Somebody needs to make that movie. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) You're going to look at eye to eye with a penguin. And it's like, ah! (laughs) Uh, Oh, anyways. So there you go. Uh, All of the the fun stuff with uh, evolution. Now, some fun facts about Little Blues. Uh, The oldest known, it was one that was banded. So they, they placed the little bands around its leg and they found it uh, still alive after 25 years. So that one lived quite a while. Yeah, that's a good span. Yeah, yeah. But the average. But on average, yeah, they're about six years. Yeah. It's, it's, tough. it's tough out in the wild. It sucks for them. Oh, those poor things. It's it's a hard uh, life. Yeah, the ocean's not. Oh. I mean, not only all the different predators, but then now today with plastics and all that stuff, uh, it's tough. It's tough. And then, then you think you're safe on land and then a, a dog or a cat or this is a, all these introduced yeah, predators, stoats, mm-hmm. weasels, whatever we have here in New Zealand comes and cats. eats them. Cats. Yeah. Cats are pretty bad too. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Six years on average, they live in the wild. Um, some some fun facts. These ones swim about four miles per hour or six mm-hmm. kilometers per hour. And again, the fastest human swimmer is five miles per hour. So, and that's at a full on sprint, uh, our top sprinters. Uh, so, so they swim about that that fast, but very agile. I mean, very agile. Oh, know. yeah. And they spend a lot of time in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, fairy penguins can spend up to 18 hours a day in the water. Yeah, a long time. 
Yeah. So, and depending on whether it's breeding season or non-breeding season, they're going to be spending their time out in the oceans a little differently. So mm-hmm. during breeding season, the little penguins will stick pretty close to shore, um, maybe like eight to nine kilometers and mm-hmm. spend anywhere from 12 to 18 hours out there hunting. Mm-hmm. Because they need to feed chicks and do all sorts of things, which we'll talk about when we get to repro. But during the non-breeding season, they will long-distance swimmers. Um, they can do huge trips over 700 kilometers. Um, but in general, research has shown that they will be within 20 kilometers from shore, but still a pretty good distance yeah. uh, when they don't have to haul up and come on land all mm. the time to uh, feed little ones. Yeah, yeah, I found that study where they they measured they during the incubation period or like you said non breeding season they spent up to like eight ten days out at the ocean. Yeah, but Chris, I want to focus on their diving mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I was really impressed to find out that the little blue penguins um, are one of the deepest or the deepest diving penguin. Uh, in general, they dive about five, six, seven meters, mm-hmm. um, but they've been recorded up to sixty or sixty seven meters deep diving that's in the ocean. deep that's deep that's yeah. deep yeah especially for a little a little little cute penguin uh, fairy <laughs> blue yeah <laughs> and that's once again that's not their normal they mm-hmm. they generally hang out inshore and they don't do these big deep dives two meters five meters and uh once they said that their average diving time was only about 21 seconds mm-hmm but for the one that was recorded at 66.7 meters, the dive lasted over a minute and a half. Wow. Wow. So they went really down there. Yeah. yeah. And so there's some really cool um, dive tracking technology now that's uh, coming out of the University of Tasmania. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So those re- researchers are doing fun stuff, right? Oh, I know. I know. It's like, oh, uh, hopefully we motivate people listening to that, that are still looking for careers to go out and do this stuff and then come, come, come talk to us. Come yes, interview. Yes, we'll have you on yes. the podcast yeah. for sure. Just all these technologies that people are using today to, uh, to gather this data. Now, reading uh, this one study I found when it, when it talked about max swimming speed and foraging ranges and stuff. Again, when I mentioned it earlier, during the 1980s, when they noticed they had some really poor chick rearing years chicks were starving that the parents were out out away from the chicks for up to five days and again they were out foraging as far as they could to find food to come back and feed their chicks and we covered that with african penguins you know and um you know we talk about stephanie arney i'll mention those episodes at the end you know african penguins having to forage farther and farther out in the ocean because of changing ocean currents because of climate change, you know, and also overfishing off Africa. So they got it tough out there, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're tough. Uh, some other fun facts, penguins, very short sighted on land. They don't have great eyesight, but underwater very, see very well. And this one, Angie, I, I had to, I know it dips a little bit into behavior, but it always gets me when, you watch movies on penguins and the parents come back from the ocean and I'm always like, how do they find their chicks? And I, I know we talked about it, but in a previous episode, I, I want to mention it again. It's the acoustics. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. It blows me away. It just, how do they find each other? You have it, not with so much little blues, you know, you, you can talk about that with the, the, the social aspects, but when you have 10,000 penguins, and mom and dad come out of the ocean waddling up that cliff or wherever they are, how do they find their chick to feed them? Now, what scientists believe is, is first, they definitely can recognize landmarks or they use stars as navigation. Um, I don't think there's any studies out there that have particularly looked at that, but they, they do believe penguins have that ability. When it came to, and I don't remember talking about this, but it's called the cocktail party effect. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's our ability to block out certain sounds or conversations 
to focus in on, on, on something, you know, either the person we're talking to or we hear something. Yes. My children are very good at that with <laughs> yes. whatever shows they're watching on Netflix. Yeah. They can really just focus on whatever the cartoons are saying and ignore and you, not hear me <laughs> or their fine. dad. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? What'd you say? <laughs> but the scientists describe it very well. They said, okay, imagine yourself in, in a noisy party, which, Many of us haven't done in, in, in a couple I years. It's been years, but <laughs> I, I can remember. I remember. Okay. I, lo- I used to love to host like New Year's parties right. and birthday parties and end of the Christmas party ho- and holiday parties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you're in oh. this party, right? Mm-hmm. Or a big bar or nightclub or whatever. You're listening to the person talking to you, hopefully, not thinking about your shopping list or something else, but you're listening and you're shutting off all the other sounds and you're focused in on what that person's telling you. But then across the room, somebody says, Hey, Angie, your ear picks it up and you, you instantly turn your attention and you can hear or see them. And that's like the cocktail party effect where you can mm-hmm. filter and recognize certain sounds. So with penguins, the parents learn the chicks chirping or sounds and they're able to filter that out of all these other thousand screaming, feed me, feed me, feed me. And then yeah, it's, it's definitely a superpower. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 And it's like, and there's Chris, feed me. Oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah. Now, what's also interesting is that the parents can recognize the chick calls, but the chicks can't distinguish between parents. So that's why probably seven babies come up to that one parent, like, feed me, feed me, feed me. They're like, no, where's Junior? You know, get out of my way. Um, very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the, um, the fairy or the little blue penguins are extremely vocal. I, we opened with that call at the beginning of the podcast just to get everybody in a party mood. But I mean, they, their vocalizations range from brays to barks, to hiss, to cheeps, to growls. So fair, squawking, of course, how could I forget that? And they use these various form of commu- vocal communications for several different things. Once again, for chicks to call parents, uh, but also um, for courtship displays, which I'll talk about here in a second. Uh, little blues can also make a low rumble or trumpet-like no- noise uh, to help attract mates. Um, they make different sounds when they're agitated or uh, aggressively uh, protecting their young. So just a really vocal bird. And I just think it's fascinating, like Chris mentioned, that that each little blue penguin has this distinctive individual song mm-hmm. that's used to help the parents and siblings distinguish one from another and where they're at. Yeah, it's just it, it just blows me away. It blows me away. Well, and speaking of like superpowers or like fun facts, uh, I wanted to touch a little bit on feathers because these are birds. They don't fly. They swim and their feathers have been adapted to be able to accommodate this, these deep dives and spending several hours out to, out at sea hunting. And so the fairy or the little blue penguins have over 10,000 feathers. And their skin has these feathers attached to it. And they have several different types of feathers um, from the outer layer to the more fine underneath down. Uh, But they also have a type of feather called a phyloplume, which is like microscopic and tiny. Uh, They're barbed at the tip. And honestly, scientists are still trying to figure out what exactly they're for. They might help the down feathers remain dry during dives or help keep them warm if they're going out into the cold water. Uh, but just, we're, I mean, scientists are still learning all about the different feathers and what they're used for. But it's also important to note in order to keep these feathers in pristine condition, the penguins will use oil or preen oil from special glands at the base of their tails. And this helps make their feathers waterproof uh, for when they are swimming and then also helps reduce drag to make them agile in the water mm-hmm. and be able to do all these cool maneuvers that uh, Chris had mentioned. It just makes me think of the Olympic swimmers that do all this stuff, mm-hmm. rather from specialty suits to shaving to all these things to like reduce drag in the water. These little blue fairy penguins are like, I got this figured out. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's really, it's just so, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Nature is uh, awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. And then one other fun fact that you can tell at your next cocktail party that will hopefully be in 2022. Yes, yes. Uh, is that um, because of the anchovies and the different type of fish that fairy penguins eat, uh, one researcher described their scat or their feces, penguin feces, as pixie dusted glitter. <laughs> 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 because there's several undigested scales mm-hmm. from the fish that they eat mm-hmm. in their scat. For those of you that are zookeepers out there, please share with us your um, penguin scat pixie dust <laughs> <laughs> stories, stories if you have any. I do know uh-huh. um, from one of my dear friends, Andy, uh, was a penguin keeper in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he loved the penguins, but he did say they were one of the more stinkier uh, bird species to work to with, which of, makes sense because it's fish, uh, ground up fish uh, leftovers. So for me, it doesn't make them any less cute. And uh, the idea that their scat sparkles makes me happy. <laughs> that's great. It just adds to their charm. <laughs> that's the that's a first for this podcast, right? I know, right? <laughs> Fairy dust poop. <laughs> that's why <sighs> I would try not to swallow seawater. You never know what's in there. It's, yeah, right. it's a lot of good it. protein or whatever. Uh, but, but, you know, now we've already you've already talked about that like sardines anchovies that's a big part of their diet. You you also said they talked you know octopus crustaceans squid, but again their numbers are on the decrease because a lot of their prey is decreasing. You know there there is a lot of fishing off New Zealand and Australia and like I said right now in La Nina a lot of those fish aren't here off our coast because it's just the water's too warm for them. They're, right. they're well their prey aren't here, right? It's all further south. So, yeah. Well, Chris, I was reading too that um, when uh, the fishing is abundant and they're out at sea, they can consume close to their body weight and krill and anchovies, sardines, and squids. So they need to consume a lot and they can consume a lot when fishing is abundant. Yeah. Yeah. So... uh... Yeah, they're they're facing a lot of pressure. They really are. They really are. And this is going to become one of my my new favorite bird species that I get yes, to Yes, you see. have to get us photos for sure. Yeah. I still want to see an albatross and I, and I will. Jesse says there there there's tons of them off our coast. Now, Angie, when you talk about some of the sociality with them, it's they're not in huge colonies like we see with the Adelis or say the emperor penguins or even king penguins, right? Yeah, Chris, the the fairy penguin or the little blue penguins are mostly solitary, but when it is breeding season, they will live together either in isolated pairs, in colonies, or in semi-colonies. So it depends on the subspecies, where they're located, as far as how long these colonies or semi-colonies are going to get. And typical to other species of penguins, little, uh, little blues or fairy penguins are going to be active during the day. They're going to swim and forage uh, throughout the day. However, uh, the fairies or the little bit blue penguins are the most nocturnal and they are pretty busy around dusk and dawn. In fact, there's that really cool and fun parading behavior that's observed by half a million tourists uh, on the Phillips Island off the coast of Melbourne that we mentioned. And what that is, is that's when all the penguins are returning from the sea they make like a little parade back to their nest and their groups and their partners. And if it's a good breeding year, which means there's several pairs that are probably forming what would be considered a semi-colony or a colony, they do this in this really kind of unorganized, random fashion of basically of parading in and out of the water with the same individuals each day. So super cute behavior. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then also similar to other penguins, the fairy or the little blue penguin is going to participate in a lot of preening or grooming uh, behavior with their mate. And this aloe grooming is going to help strengthen bonds and then, of course, remove parasites and and get, get the areas that are hard to get yourself, right? Because a lot of times birds or penguins will preen their own feathers and and help keep their own selves clean. But we all know there are certain areas that are harder to reach <laughs> than others. Mm-hmm. And so that's where their mate can come into play. And that's seen a lot with the um, little blues or the fairy penguins. But researchers still don't know a ton about their social activities and their social behavior uh, when they are um, in these either breeding colonies or semi-colonies. 
resident colonies, as they're called. And so when they are being cared for uh, under human care, whether it's the Bronx Zoo or the Auckland Zoo uh, or other places I know you're going to mention at the end of the podcast, it is a great opportunity for the animal caretakers and researchers to get to know more about uh, the fairy penguins' behavior in order to help protect them from threats when they are in these large numbers and for them to basically gather information about better ways to protect more of them. And then as far as breeding, how do they stack up compared to other species of penguin? Well, Chris, as a bird, they definitely don't disappoint as far as I'm Mm -hmm. concerned. They have Mm -hmm. a lot of fun courtship rituals. And the little blue penguins do form monogamous pairs for during breeding season. And several times they will maintain these pairs from season to season. It's estimated that about 75% of the farrier little blue penguins will stick with the same mate for life, but about 25% of them may change their mate from year to year or even, uh, even participate in promiscuous behavior. And depending on where the farrier little blue penguins are located um, and which subspecies they are, they can generally breed throughout the year. But when we're talking about these larger breeding colonies that can attract um, tourism, that's going to usually happen. The breeding season is going to usually happen between June and October, where they form these quote unquote loose colonies. But regardless if um, a fairy penguin is courting their mate of several years or for the first time, they definitely are going to get put on a little show, a display, in my opinion, which is worth watching. And so a lot of times this begins with the male giving specific mating calls that will um, attract the female. And then the male uh, fairy or little blue penguin is going to stand in his body in an upright position and he'll put a f- his flippers above his back, st- stretch out his neck, and his head will be facing upright towards the sky. The male penguin will then make a braying noise. So if you think of a, a donkey or a gravy zebra, very loud and what mm. might be obnoxious to our ears, but very yes. beautiful music to a female penguin's ears. Uh, and I don't think I don't think a zebra makes any noise that you don't love. I know. <laughs> I I will say though, it's it's very hard for me to replicate the zebra. Like so when I'm mm. going through um, the animal book with uh with maddox and i'm making all the farm animal sounds which i think i'm very good at um Mm -hmm. not to toot my own horn but several people have told me i make an excellent goat noise and a horse noise (laughs) but i get to the zebra and i'm just like i don't even try (laughs) because it's 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 definitely not a neigh or a whinny um they'll do knickers they make they'll Mm -hmm. make some typical uh horse sounds but yeah the bray is something that i i I need to work on man i should have done that recently before we get to zebras i will master the bray and uh but yes and i cannot bray like a a little penguin as well so but the male uh little blue penguin will make this sound um either alone for the penguin or in in front of other males too to show off and once a female fairy penguin falls in love or recognizes her mate from last year, they will join in together and perform this display as far as standing upright and stretching their neck and putting their head toward the sky. I believe in some bird species it's called sky pointing. You see that with, I mean, I've seen that in other penguin, you know, like the emperors and stuff, like they point right straight up, right? With their beaks. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah, and then they'll yeah. start like that. And then in a darling true courtship move, um, either the male or the female will spread their flippers and bow their head, mm-hmm. which then signals the other bird to follow along and do the same. And they basically walk around in small circles near the nest, just braying as they go, making music. So this is considered a courtship dance of circling and walking and braying which I think is darling, and uh, I just love the visual on it. Yes, yes. And speaking of the nest, um, the fairy and or little blue penguins, uh, both male and female help construct the nest, which is often part of the courtship process as well. So then they can walk around uh, braying uh, braying together and 
doing all their courtship behaviors. The male will usually be a little bit more involved with the nest or has like the bigger burden, if you will, um, as far as building their nest. And their nest usually consists of a burrow. They like to be like either under bushes or in rock crevices, definitely not out on the open like you think of the emperor penguins, right, that are just standing there holding the eggs. Mm -hmm. The fairy of the little blue penguin has much different um, process as far as taking – trying to hide and have more of a burrow in the ground or in a cave uh, than than other species of penguins. And the female fairy – penguin will usually lay a clutch of only one to two eggs. So that's not a huge clutch and incubation will take anywhere from 30 to 40 days, uh, depending on the season, as far as the weather and how much nutrition, uh, the female is able to acquire and has acquired previous to conception. Uh, now when it comes to incubating the eggs, both male and females will take turns doing it. Uh, but the, the female typically has a little bit larger role as far as the incubation stage goes. And when the cute little fairy uh, or little blue chicks are hatched, they're semi-altricial. So they do have down feathers to help keep them warm, um, but they are unable to leave the nest. They can't feed themselves. So we're starting off uh, 2022 with parents of the year because, because both male and female fairy or little blue penguins are highly involved in taking care and rearing the chicks. Uh, and so both parents are going to be in charge of brooding or taking care of and feeding and or guarding the chicks by basically swapping duties. So the female will go out to sea and hunt and get a whole bunch of fish while the male is protecting them back at the nest, uh, keeping them warm, hanging out with them. And then she feeds them and then he goes out to sea. So once the chicks are born for 20 to 40 days, just depending on the subspecies and the location of where they're hatched, the male and female fairy penguins will participate in what's known as this guard period where both parents spend a lot of time and a lot of investment brooding in the young. And the chicks will start to fledge when they're a couple months old, around day 50 to 65, once again, depending on the subspecies and depending how fast they grew due to their nutrition. And uh, juveniles will become completely dependent and ready to fledge um, anywhere from 60 to 80 days old, once again, depending on the size and uh, the, the availability of nutrition. And in regards to their uh, sexual maturity, Chris, it was really fascinating to me. Uh, fairy penguins don't become reproductively mature until they're about three years old. Jeez. For the male. And the female yeah. is a little bit under that, like at the end of her second year. Yeah. So when we talk about generation intervals, mm-hmm. I mean, they're only uh, producing one to two chicks at a time. Depending on where they live, they they might do more clutches or if like their clutch was attacked and eaten, the eggs right, were right, eaten, right. they, uh, they might produce another clutch, but yeah, I mean, so it, it, it's a hard life. I mean, they're only producing a few offspring and then it takes the offspring a while to act to, uh, if they survive a yeah. while to actually then, um, or then to become sexually mature. So yeah, it's, it's definitely like, worth yeah. keeping an eye on, especially with all the threats that we've mentioned. No, they are. I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, half their life they can reproduce and maybe replace themselves plus one or two. But I mean, what we do know is their populations are decreasing. I mean, estimates about a million of them now, but they definitely are in decline. Well, Chris, I actually read that one of the more recent counts was um, slightly under a half a million, under 500,000. Under 500,000. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I know. And uh, and that know, maybe that might be breeding individuals and not include chicks. Maybe that's why like the, the total population. Discrepancy. But still, it's, it's, they're, they're on the downward trajectory. I mean, yes. they do have legal protections in Australia and New Zealand, but they're, they're not, you know, there isn't anything special going on to protect them. You know, because we talked about the invasive species in New Zealand and Australia, fishing of sardines and anchovies, pollution, ocean plastics, you know, human expansion, disturbing nesting sites, climate change, La Nina. There's a lot going on. And, you know, they, they, they've got a lot of pressure and definitely going to keep my eye, my eye on, on the species. 
Now, Angie, I know we 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 each kind of select an organization, and because we love penguins, <laughs> <laughs> they are, they and are. We want you to love them too. Yes, and I talked a little bit of this earlier, but I need to get to the National Aquarium of New Zealand. This is down in Napier, which I did look at the map. It took me about four hours to get. Uh, I just was in Lake Topo the other day with the kids, but I was halfway there. I need to go another further two hours, but it's four hours away. And they are known around the world for every month posting the naughty penguin of the month. So it's become kind of a meme. And people have seen this that are they're into animals. Naughty penguins. I love it. <laughs> so and they're pretty hilarious. Like if you go to some of the older ones, oh my God, like Mo the penguin's like always on there. He's always naughty, like stealing fish <laughs> and stuff. But this month's so so this month's naughty penguin is Marina. And that's because she's been hassling the divers when they go into cleaner pool. So they, they go in and, and they, they do this whole post about the naughty penguin of the month. Now, the good penguin of the month, and they always post a good one, is Betty. And that's because Betty was very brave this month when she was getting her eye drops. So Aww, <laughs> I love it. Just, so this is the National Aquarium of New Zealand. They do do uh, conservation and they do, you know, sustainability at their little pe- little penguin rehabilitation center. So they do uh, help rehab them, uh, sick birds, and return them to the wild. So you can find the National Aquarium of New Zealand at nationalaquarium.co.nz. You can find them on Facebook at National Aquarium NZ or NZ because you know outside of uh, the United States Z is Z. So that is where you'll find them. They're they beautiful website. They got Tuatara on there, which was so awesome to see the other day. Uh, they're very very active on Instagram. And again, that naughty penguin of the month. It is so worth reading. Going back to some of the old ones, these little blue penguins. You're just like, oh, they're they're too adorable. Oh, Chris, that's awesome. And you've got to get down there and get us some photos. I would love, I love, I love to see the naughty and the nice penguins. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and probably a little, I have a little bit more uh, attraction to the naughty one. Yeah, I know, uh, I know, I know. But always. Betty, what a good girl getting your eye drops. And I know that that can be very hard. Trust me. I've had to do it with my children before. It's, it's not fun. <laughs> yes, yes. But when I was looking around at different conservation groups, I came across um, Conservation Volunteers of New Zealand. And this is a fun uh, website that we'll share on our uh, that we'll share on our show notes. It just posts a lot of different opportunities to volunteer for conservation in New Zealand, and they have a special sections just for the little penguin or the corora um, using the Maori language. I believe they call it a corora. And this website at conservationvolunteers.co.nz, little penguin. Uh, gives you step-by-step instructions on how you on how you can help volunteers restore coastal habitats, create nest box, um, educate people about the threats that the little penguins are facing, uh, and help work with predator control and then community workshops. So some real hands-on things if you are in the New Zealand area and want to get involved with little penguins on things that you could do to get out and about and help conserve the little penguin. It'd be super so, awesome. So what are you telling me? <laughs> hint, hint, Chris. I would like a follow-up. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I will, I will look. I will, uh, I will definitely look. I want to um, see you build some little penguin nest box. I know. It's, that's what I love about New Zealand is, is the community is active in protecting uh, our native wildlife here, and people are very much engaged mm-hmm. uh, doing that. So thank you for those that listen. I know we have a good listenership in New Zealand. Uh, that are out there and reach out, you know, reach out to us. And if you ever want to have a coffee uh, you're in the North Island, let me know. I, I would definitely like to, to sit down and chat about animals. Uh, one thing we're going to try to do this, this year is we're going to talk about related episodes. I mean, we've got 260 plus episodes out there. So if you're really loving penguins and you want to learn more, episode 87 on emperor penguins, Episode 126 on African penguins. Episode 127, our interview with Stephanie Arney, still one of my all-time favorite conservation heroes. Love her, love her. And then also episode 211, uh, 
was Every Penguin in the World author, Dr. Charles Bergman. That was very fun how he went around the world and documented every penguin species. But you can dork out on penguins on that. You can just Google that, All Creatures Podcast, Penguin. You can go to our website, allcreaturespod.com. Under Marine or under Interviews, you'll find those um, for you. But yeah, 2022, this is the year everything changes for for all of us. Uh, I hope you had a very good holiday season. I hope you're healthy and uh, you know, as we all get through this pandemic together, it, it, it's all of us around the planet. But, you know, shout out to the Little Blues and great job today, Angie. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Chris. It was so fun and and definitely always a good time doing a species in New Zealand that you can relate to. And yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. 2022 is going to be a great year. And you can help us make more progress in this podcast by liking, rating, and reviewing this podcast, either on our social media accounts or on iTunes. We would love to see some uh, kind and positive words on these different various sites to help boost our ratings in 2022. And Chris and I just always love to hear your feedback as well. So thanks again for listening. And we appreciate you as a listener, as a conservation hero, getting the message out there and getting excited about wildlife and then also help getting other people educated and excited about wildlife because we're in this, we're all in this together. Thank you. Listen, learn, share, join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.